0: chapter six of captives of the flame by samuel r delaney this LibriVox recording is in the public domain reading by matt perard chapter six the duchess of petra said now your first direct assignment will be then the sudden green of beetles wings the red of polished carbuncle a web of silver fire lightning and blue smoke columns of jade caught red light through the great crack in the roof the light across the floor was red john felt that there were others with him but he could not be sure before him on a stone platform three marble crescents were filled with pulsating shadows john kosher looked at them and then away there were many more columns most broken he saw a huge break in the sanctuary wall outside he could look down on an immense red plain at a scribed line the plain changed color to an even more luminous red near the temple a few geometrical buildings cast maroon pinions of shadow over the russet expanse suddenly he realized that the further half of the plain was an immense red sea yet with a perfectly straight shoreline calmly it rippled toward the bright horizon at the horizon filling up nearly a quarter of the sky was what seemed to be a completely rounded mountain of dull red no it was a segment of a huge red disk a great dull sun lipping the horizon of the planet yet it was dim enough so that he could stare directly at it without blinking above it the atmosphere was a rich purple then there was a voice from behind him and he turned to the triple throne once more hail hosts of earth the voice began the very shadows of the room were like red bruises on the stone you are in the halls of an extinct city on cretan III. Twelve million years ago this planet housed a civilization higher than yours today now it is dead and only we are left sitting on their thrones in the twilight of their dying ruddy sun who are you demanded john but his voice sounded strange distorted as he bit the last word off another voice broke in what do you really want from us then a third voice what are you going to do with us john looked around but saw no one else suddenly another picture the picture of a world a white desert where the sky was deep blue and each object cast double shadows filled his mind this isn't the world you took me to before he exclaimed no came the quiet voice this is not the world we took you to before listen we are homeless wanderers of space our origin was not only in another galaxy but in another universe eternities ago by way of this universe we can move from star to star without transversing any segment of time unless we desire thus we have dwelt quietly in the dead cities of myriad suns till now we have never tampered with any living species though there is something in us that yearns for the extinct cultures recently according to our standards though still much older than your solar system a dark force has come into the universe it has evolved similarly to us and also leaps among galaxies in moments yet it holds no culture sacred that it finds and has already tampered with a score of civilizations it is younger than we are and can only exist in one individual at a time while our entity has three lobes so to speak this rival thinks nothing of completely changing the mind of its host giving deadly information even new powers we are bound only to ride with your minds warn you guide you but changing your body before your minds and that only to keep you from death so it will be your own greed your own selflessness that will eventually win or lose this battle therefore it will be won or lost within the framework of your own civilization then tell us this came a voice that was not john's what is on the other side of the radiation barrier but we have told you already and you have guessed toromon is at war with an economic condition. Beyond the barrier is a civilization which is controlled by the Lord of the Flames. He is only in one member of their number, and, any time, he may move to another, although it is not likely. Are they our enemies? Your only enemies are yourselves, but he must be evicted, nonetheless. To do that, all you must do is confront the individual who is bearing him, The three of you together but you must all be within seeing distance of him at once for we work through your minds what you cannot perceive we cannot affect how will we do this one of you has already been made immune to the radiation barrier so will the rest of you when it becomes necessary this is what you will do for us and it will also remove the threatening element of the unknown that distracts Toramon from her own problems. But why our planet? A voice asked. Yours is an ideal experimenting ground. Because of the Great Fire, your planet has many civilizations that are now completely isolated from one another. Many, however, are on a fairly high level. The radiation barriers that lace your planet will keep you isolated from them for some time when the lord of the flames is finished with one empire he may wish to try a different method on a basically similar civilization for all your isolated empires had the same base marinor leftpar calcebon aptor these are all empires on your planet of which you have never heard but your first concern is tormon will we remember all this john said you will remember enough good you know your task the red haze in the deserted temple pulsed and the jade columns flickered hands of blue smoke caught him and flung him through a lightning flash whirled through a net of silver he dropped through red into the vivid green of beetles wings john blinked the duchess took a step backwards the green carpet, the rich wood-paneled walls, the glass-covered desk. They were in a sitting-room of his father's house, again. Finally, John asked, Now, just what am I supposed to do, again, and explain it very carefully? I was going to say, said the Duchess, that you were to get to the prince, who is being kept at an inn in the devil's pot, And accompany him to the forest people. I want him to stay there until this war is over. They live a different life from any of the other people of this empire. They will give him something he'll be able to use. I told you I spent some time there when I was younger. I can't explain exactly what it is, but it's a certain ruggedness, a certain strength. Maybe they won't give it to him, but if he's got it in him, they'll bring it out. What about the Lord of the Flames? I don't. Do you have any idea, John? Well, assuming we get beyond the radiation barrier, assuming we find what people were fighting, assuming we find which one of them is carrying around the Lord of the Flames, and assuming we can, all three of us, get to him at once, assuming all that, there's no problem. But we can't, can we? Look, I'll be going to the forest, so I'll be closest to the radiation barrier. I'll try to get through, see what the situation is, and then the two of you can come on. All right? Fine. If nothing else, it'll put me closer to the Lord of the Flames and my freedom. How are you not free now, John Koshar? the Duchess asked. Instead of answering, he said, Give me the address of the Inn at the Devil's Pot." Going down the hall with the address, John increased his pace. His mind carried an alien mind that had saved him from death once already. How could he be free? The obligation? That couldn't be the word. Around the corner he heard a voice. And now would you please explain it to me? it's not every day i'm called on to declare war i think i did it rather eloquently now tell me why john remembered the trick of acoustics which as a child enabled him to stand in this spot and overhear his sister and her girlfriend's conversation just as they came into the house it's your brother came the other voice he's been kidnapped he's been what asked the king and why and by whom we don't know answered the official but the council thought it was best to get you to declare war oh said the king so that's why i made that little speech in there what does mother say it wouldn't be polite to repeat sir she was locked in her room and very insulted she would be said usk so the enemy has infiltrated "'and got my silly brother.' "'Well,' said the voice, "'they can't be sure, "'but what with the plains this morning "'they thought it was best.' "'Oh, well,' said the king. "'There were footsteps, then silence.' "'Coming round the corner, "'John saw the coat closet was ajar. "'He opened the door, "'took out a great cape and hood, "'and wrapped it around him, "'pulling the hood close over his head.' he stepped into the foyer and went out past the doorman. At the edge of the devil's pot, the woman with the birthmark on the left side of her face was tapping a cane and holding out a tin cup. She had put on a pair of dark glasses and wandered up one street and down another. "'Money for a poor old blind woman,' she said in a whiny voice. "'Money for the blind!' as a coin clinked into her cup she nodded smiled and said welcome to the new world good luck in the island of opportunity the man who had given her the coin walked a step and then turned back hey he said to rara if you're blind how do you know i'm new here strangers are generous rara explained while those who live here are too frozen to give Look, said the man, I was told to watch out for blind beggars who weren't blind. My cousin, he warned me. Not blind, cried Rara. Not blind? Why, my license is right here. It permits me to beg in specified areas because of loss of sight. If you keep this up, I'll be obliged to show it to you. She turned away with a huff and began in another direction. The man scratched his head then hurried off. A few moments later a man completely swathed in a gray cloak and hood came around the corner and stopped in front of the woman. Money for the blind? Can you use this? The man said. From his cloak he held out a brocade jacket covered with fine metalwork. Of course, said Rara softly. Then she coughed. (laughs) What is it? It's a jacket. John said. It's made pretty well. Maybe you can sell it. Oh, thank you. Thank you, sir. A few blocks later, a ragged boy, who looked completely amazed, was handed a white silk shirt by the man in the gray cloak. In front of a doorway, two blocks on, a pair of open-toed black boots with gold discs were left, and stolen from that doorway exactly 40 seconds later by a hairdresser was returning to her home in the devil's pot. She was missing the little finger of her left hand. Once the gray-cloaked figure paused in an alley beneath a clothesline. Suddenly he flung up a ball of gray cloth which caught on the line, unrolled, and became identifiable as a pair of dark gray trousers. A block later the last minor articles of clothing were hurled unceremoniously through an open window, As John turned another corner, he glimpsed a figure ducking into a doorway down the dim street. The man was apparently following him. John walked very slowly down the next block, ambling along in the shadow. The hoodlum crept up behind him, then grabbed his cloak, ripped it away, and leapt forward. Only there wasn't anything there. The mugger stood for a moment, the cape dangling from his hand, blinking at the place a man should have been. Then something hit him in the jaw. He staggered back. Something else hit him in the stomach. As he stumbled forward now beneath the street lamp, a transparent human figure suddenly formed in front of him. Then it planted its quite substantial fist into his jaw again, and he went back, down and out. John dragged the man back to the side of the alley, fading out completely as he did so. Then he took the hoodlum's clothes, which were ragged, smelly, and painfully nondescript. The shoes, which were too small for him, he had to leave off. Then he flung the cape back around his shoulders and pulled the hood over his head. For the next six blocks, he was lost because there were no street signs. When he did find the next one, he realized he was only a block away from the inn, As he reached the stone building, he heard a thud in the tiny alleyway beside it. A moment later, a girl's voice called softly. There, just like that. Only you better do exactly as I say, or you'll break your arms, or legs, or back. He walked to the edge of the building and peered into the alley. Her white hair loose, Alter stood looking up at the roof. All right, tell, she called you next something came down from the roof flipped over on the ground at her feet rolled away and then suddenly unwound to a standing position a black-haired boy ran his fingers through his hair wow he said then he shook his head wow are you all right alter asked you didn't pull anything did you no he said i'm all right i think Yeah, everything's in place. He looked up at the roof again, two stories above. Your turn, let, Alter called up. It's high, came a childish voice from the roof. Hurry up, said Alter, her voice becoming authoritative. When I count three, and remember, knees up, chin down, and roll quick. One, two, three. There was a space of a breath, and then it fell, rolled, bounced unsteadily to its feet, and resolved into another boy, this one blonde and slighter than the first. "'Hey, you kids,' John said. They turned. John looked at the smaller boy, his slight blonde frame, less substantial than even Alters' white-haired loveliness, was definitely of the royal family. "'What are you doing out here, anyway?' John asked. "'Especially you.' your highness." All three children jumped. It looked like they might balk, and after that descent from the roof, he wasn't sure where they might balk too. So he said, "'Incidentally, the Duchess of Petra sent me. How did you do that fall?' His highness was the only one to relax appreciably. "'And are you sure you're supposed to be outside?' We were supposed to stay on the top floor, Tell said, but him, he pointed to his ragged highness. He got restless and we started telling him about the tricks, and so we went up to the roof and Alter said she could get us down. Can you get them back up? John asked. Sure, said Alter. All we do is climb. John held up his hand. Wait a minute, he said. We'll go inside and talk to the man in charge. Don't worry. No one will be mad. You mean, talk to Jaron? said Alter. I guess that's what his name is. They started back out of the alley. Tell me, John said, just what sort of person is Jaron? He's a strange old man. He talks to himself all the time, said Alter, but he's smart talks to himself john reflected and nodded when they reached the door of the inn john pulled his cape off and stepped into the light a few people at the bar turned around and when they saw the children they looked askance at one another jaron's probably upstairs alter said they went to the second floor john let the children go ahead of him as they passed into the shadow of the hall He only stepped up to them when Alter pushed open the door at the end of the hall and bright light from Jaron's room fell full across them. "'What is it?' Jaron snapped. And then, "'What is it? Quick!' He whirled around in the chair at the rough wooden desk when they entered. The giant was standing by the window. Jaron's grey eyes fidgeted back and forth. Finally he said, "'Why are you out here? And who is he? What do you want?' I'm from the Duchess of Petra, John said. I've come to take let to the forest people. Yes, said the old man. Yes. Then suddenly his face twisted as if he were trying to remember something. Then shook his head. Yes. Suddenly he stood up. Well, go on. I've done my part, I tell you. I've done. Every minute he's in my house he endangers my borders, my friends. Take him. Go on. The giant turned from the window. I am to go with you. My name is Arkor. John frowned. For the first time, the scarred giant's height struck him. Why? He started. It is my country that we go to, said Arkor. I know how to get there. I can take you through it. Jaron says it's part of the plan. John felt a sudden knot of resentment tighten inside him. These plans the duchesses, gerunds, even the plans of the triple beings who inhabited them. They trapped him. Freedom! The word went in and out of his mind like a shadow. He said, When do we go, then, if you know how to get there? In the morning, said Arthur. Alter, take him to a room. Get him out of here. Quick, go on. They backed from the room, and Alter hurried them up the hall. John was thinking. After delivering lead to the forest people, he was going further. Yes, he would go on, try to get through the radiation barrier. But all three of them had to get through, if they were to do any good. So why wasn't Jaron coming, instead of sending the giant? If Jaron came, then there'd be two people near the Lord of the Flames. But Jaron was old. Maybe the Duchess could bring him with her when she came. Mentally, he smashed a fist into his thoughts and scattered them. Don't think. Don't think. Thinking binds up your mind, and you can never be... He stopped. Then another thought wormed into his skull, the thought of five years of glittering hunger. That night he slept well. Morning pried his eyes open with blades of light that fell through the window, it was very early. He had been up only a minute when there was a knock on his door. Then it opened, and Arkor directed the dwarfed form of the prince into John's room, then turned and left. He says to meet him downstairs in five minutes, let's said. Sure, said John. He finished buttoning up the ragged shirt stolen from the mugger the night before and looked at the boy by the door. "'I guess you're not used to these sort of clothes,' he said. "'Once I wasn't either. "'Pretty soon they begin to take.' "'Huh?' said Let. "'Then, oh. "'Is something wrong?' "'Who are you?' "'John thought for a moment. "'Well,' he said, "'I'm sort of a friend of your brother. "'An acquaintance, anyway. "'I'm supposed to take you to the forest.' why you'll be safe there could we go to the sea instead my turn for a why john asked because tell told me all about it last night he said it was fun he said there were rocks all different colors and in the morning he said you can see the sun come up like a burning blister behind the water he told me about the boats too i'd like to work on a boat i really would They don't allow me to do anything at home. Mother says I might get hurt. Will I get a chance to work someplace? Maybe, John said. Tell had some good stories about fishing. Do you know any stories? I don't know, John said. I never tried telling any. Hey, come on, we better get started. I like stories, Let said. Come on, I'm just trying to be friendly. John laughed, then thought a minute. I can tell you a story about a prison mine. Do you know anything about the prison mines beyond the forest? Some, said Let. Well, once upon a time, there were three prisoners in that prison camp. They started out in the hall. They'd been there a long time, and they wanted to get out. One was—well, he looked like me. Let's pretend. Another had a limp. And the third one was chubby, sort of. Interrupted Let. I know that story. You do? Asked John. Sure, Let said. Then you go on and tell it. John was a little annoyed. Let told it to him. They were outside waiting for Arkor when the boy finished. See, Let said. I told you I knew it. Yeah, said John quietly. He stood very still. You say, the other two didn't make it? That's right, Lett said. The guards brought them back and dumped their bodies in the mud so that Shut up, John said. Huh? Asked Let. He was quiet for a few breaths. Who told you that story? Petra, Lett answered. She told it to me. It's a good story, huh? Incidentally, John said, "I'm the one that got away. You mean the boy stopped. You mean it really happened? The early light warmed the deserted street now, as Arcourt came to the door of the inn and stepped into the street. All right, he said, Come on. End of chapter Six.